Welcome to Locked On Flames. I'm your host, Sean Lavery. Today, it's another exciting episode where we have Harrison Lee from Locked On Jets alongside us for uh, round two of our three-part series preview between the Jets and Flames. Uh, on today's show, Jess Belmazzo is back with us as well. Like I said, we're joined by Harrison. We'll get into all the big storylines heading into the series. What's at stake maybe beyond this series uh, and a whole lot more. I'm Sean Lavery. I spent four years working at TSN Radio in the center of the hockey universe in Toronto, but now I'm back in Calgary to bring you all things Flames. Be sure to subscribe and follow Locked On Flames for free wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll get the latest episodes of this podcast as soon as it comes out each day. So Harrison and Jess, thanks so much for uh, joining us for round two here. Um, we're definitely going to do a three-part series. Hopefully the Flames-Jets series itself lasts longer than three episodes or three actual games, uh, but I guess we have lots of time to discuss all that. So uh, I thought yesterday in episode one, we did a lot of Flames chatter, or at least we did a majority of Flames chatter. So uh, today, Harrison, I wanted to get your input on the Jets, and we'll start with the most interesting question in Calgary, which is goaltending. Now, in Winnipeg, it's the, probably the least interesting question because it's Connor Hellebuck who will be starting game one. He had an amazing regular season and was nominated um, as one of the three Vesna finalists earlier in July. He might even have a solid chance of winning the trophy outright. Harrison, would you give a Jets fan caution or encouragement in terms of Connor Hellebuck's play? Um, I guess what I'm asking is, does that Vesna nomination from the regular season, does that matter after four months off to you? Thinking about Connor Hellebuck in the postseason is kind of an interesting question because there have been a number of seasons where he's actually been pretty good, but then his postseason performance was not as ideal. And I kind of look at their last cup run attempt, which, well, I guess they've only had one real cup run. 2014-15 uh, was basically just gravy, uh, and that was writing Andre Pavlik and Michael Hutchinson. So that's kind of the level of the base level of goaltending that we're working with here as far as what Jets fans expect to be uh, the leading man in that. We're not used to having Connor Hellebuck uh, like caliber go of goalies who are our top end net minders. And so I think this is kind of tough because part of me thinks that he's the sort of dude where he, his approach to the game is very much about efficiency and controlled movements. Um, every time you look at a highlight reel from him during the regular season, one thing that tends to stick out is that his lateral crease movement and uh, essentially him challenging uh, shooters as he's coming out of his net is always pretty slow. And yet he doesn't really seem to worry about it because he's able to use his wingspan and his massive size to essentially cover most of the shooting angles. And he also has ridiculous reflexes for a dude who's, I don't know, the size of a giraffe or something. Um, but Hellebuck, I think, is a really strong netminder. What I do kind of worry about is because this is a long time off, I'm not 100% sold on saying that he's going to be excellent during the Calgary series. One thing that does concern me is the Jets historically have had issues uh, dealing with teams that are really fast countering teams. I don't know if this year's version of the Flames is, is using the same thing as what they did under Bill Peters, which that version of the Flames was a really bad match for the Jets. Uh, teams like the Dallas Stars are also really annoying to deal with because they have that fast countering system, and Connor Hellebuck occasionally has struggled with some of those glove hand reads. This year, though, he has given me more confidence than usual, and I feel like I would probably say I'm 70-30 on expecting him to do really well. Uh, there's that 30% of me that still thinks it's been a long time off and maybe some of his mechanics have rusted out a little bit, but the other 70% says, screw it, he's my Vezina favorite, he's done a really good season so far, I am confident 
in him being the leading man. Now, Jess, if you had to put your shelf in the shoes of the average Flames fan, you know, how worried are you that the Flames are going up against one of the league's best goalies in the regular season? Or does the four months off kind of give you a little more confidence than you otherwise would have had just because there's been so much time in between play? So I think that, okay, there's Facebook fandoms for like, those comment sections for every sports team so that version of me as a flames fan hypothetically is saying oh my god like like we're stressing out it's the end of the world the world's crashing down because we don't have that goaltending but then at the same time rational thinking flames fan jess is thinking you know we have been off for four months maybe there is some rust to shake off even for some of the best in the league. So, I mean, I'm kind of split right down the middle yeah, to be no, honest. That's, that's totally fair. It's, it's one of these things that feels impossible to predict in terms of individual play. Um, but I guess the saving grace, regardless of if you're a Jets or a Flames fan is that, you know, it swings both ways. Um, you know, maybe Hellebuck does struggle after four months off, but Hey, guess what? The Flames also had the exact amount of time off as well. So, um, they're going to have to deal with the same issues in terms of getting back into the full swing of things, especially as we've mentioned in the most important time and crucial time of the year with it being the playoffs. Um, as I mentioned at the start of the segment, in terms of the Flames goaltending conversation, it is their biggest question mark right now. Um, in terms of summer training camp 2.0, their biggest uh, curiosity was who's going to start game one. Harrison, if you had to pinpoint kind of that one big question sticking out at you um, from a Winnipeg uh, perspective what's the biggest question for the Jets going into their series against the Flames <laughs> I think our question is oh my god is this defense gonna die uh, because right now we're kind of working with a, a bit of a skeleton crew Winnipeg's you know top pairing unit right now is Josh Morrissey and Dylan DeMello and I love these guys I do uh, but in our previous episode you mentioned that you're not really sure if Josh Morrissey is one of those lead number one defenseman. And I think that that question is still very relevant. Away from Dustin Bufflin, his on-ice performance has been not as uh, not as ideal as you'd expect, um, which is not surprising because Bufflin basically just clears the ice and really kind of causes a lot of havoc in the offensive zone. And especially later in his career, was a major force in the defensive zone as well. Um, so DeMello has been fine. And I think actually very good at, at shutting down opponents in the corners, maintaining his gapping well, and all of that stuff. But you're essentially asking what would be an elite second pairing to manage first pairing minutes. DeMello, I think, is up for it. I have more questions about Morrissey because it's clear that he's been dealing with a number of injuries this season. And that basically means that if Morrissey is still injured, your second pairing, Kulikov, Pionk, is going to have to do more work. And Pionk is still pretty raw. Like Kulikov, I don't have too many questions with. He does have some issues where occasionally he, I don't know, just has a, a bit of a, a galaxy brain moment in one of the corners, uh, which is always kind of fun to deal with because it often leads to a goal against. But I, actually, I would say after Kulikov came back from injury, we saw a really strong form of him. One of the best shutdown D on the Jets roster, which isn't saying much right now, but we'll, we'll go, you know, we'll give credit where credit is due. I think Kulikov performed admirably, and I think that Pionk's game has come a long way. The third pairing is going to be like Bolu and Tucker Pullman, which, yeah, I don't even know what to say about that third pairing other than that they're going to be out there. I, I hope that they are able to essentially manage those minutes, but 
I think it's a really tough ask of this team to expect a strong defensive performance because throughout most of the season, they really haven't been able to manage it. And if, if anything is going to kind of snowball, it's going to be that blue line. So just looking at some of the names that Winnipeg has lost on the blue line recently, you mentioned Dustin Bufflin. He's one. Tyler Myers is another. Jacob Truba, Ben Sherratt. Like, those guys are very, very good NHL defensemen. And to lose kind of all of them in the same, you know, close period of time, that's a big loss for, for any team. Harrison, if you had to say, have the Jets, after all those big losses, looking at the blue line specifically, have they been a disappointment? Have they kind of been what you thought they would be on the blue line? Or have they exceeded your expectations? Uh, this is kind of a tough question because it's both, it is what I expected and it's also been worse than I expected. Um, depending on the day before the break, I think the Jets defense was actually performing like an adequate level before them though, especially when the Jets could not exit their own defensive zone. It was absolutely brutal. And I don't think it was, it wasn't just the players. I think the systems that Paul Maurice was trying to use where they were shelling up very defensively and not, they were trying to block shots and, and gain possession off of turnovers. But if your opponent was just skating circles around you, it didn't really matter. And so I think that the Jets' defense just wasn't capable of doing that. And so the lack of puck carriers right now in guys like uh, Truba and Bufflin has just killed them repeatedly. Um, so I, I think this this team has, has underperformed, but it's also performed at more or less what I what I most feared the outcome would be their worst outcome. And yet somehow they're still in the playoff spot. So that's just, right. yeah, I don't even know what to say about right. that. It, it sounds a lot like the flame season. Like the Jets blue line is a lot like the flame season as a whole. It's like, well, I don't really know what to say. Like they've kind of done everything. They've done it all. Um, still to come on episode two of the Locked On Flames and Locked On Jets crossover series preview. We'll tell you which player has the most to prove on both the Flames and the Jets. Welcome back. A reminder, if you want to connect with either Locked On Jets or Locked On Flames on Twitter, you can do so. Follow us at LO underscore Winnipeg for the Jets side of things. And for the Flames side of things, we're at LO underscore Flames. I'm Sean Lavery alongside Jess Belmazzo, my co-host from Locked On Flames, and Harrison Lee of Locked On Jets. So guys, yesterday in episode one of our series preview, we talked a lot about you know Johnny Goudreau, and he's been a big topic for the last month or so, kind of leading up to the NHL return to play, and that in terms of his playoff performance as a member of the Calgary Flames, it has not been good at all. Um, Harrison, is there someone on Winnipeg who is, you know, where Johnny Goudreau has the spotlight on him, he's the individual player, we're all looking to see how they do. Who's that guy for Winnipeg? Who's the player everyone is watching ahead of their series against the Flames? Uh, I I tend to think that Winnipeg has the spotlight on the wrong players a lot of times, but obviously the the spotlight naturally transitions to Patrick Laine, who, Uh, compared to last season, has had a massively improved season. Mm -hmm. Last year, they asked him to do a lot of stuff like neutral zone transitions, offensive zone entries, uh, some defensive zone work, and it didn't really go well because, you know, his line mates needed to support him or offer more outlets, and they just didn't. This season, he's in a bit more of a stable situation, and his overall game has matured. If I had to pick one person that I would personally want to see more of, it's actually Mark Shifley. I think Shifley's game over the past couple of seasons, it hasn't been where I feel like it's needed to be, whether it just looks like he's not as engaged as he used to be, or defensively speaking, he's definitely having issues with whatever system the Jets are currently employing, which I think is like a man-zone uh, hybrid. It just seems like Mark is is really struggling at certain points, and while he can definitely score tons of points, I think his total impact on the game hasn't been quite as good as it could be, 
And he's somebody that I really want to see a little bit more out of because if Mark Shifley starts to dominate like he can, I think you really have to be worried about him. We don't really have a McKinnon-like performance um, like McKinnon has done to previous teams like the Flames. But I think Shifley is somebody that I would identify as uh, being a sleeper in this series. Now, Jess, if we looked at Johnny Gaudreau like we have so often these last few days, what would you say is more likely? Would you say it's more likely he kind of ends his streak of cold playoff performances and comes out flying against the Jets? Or would you say it's more likely that, you know, it's the same Johnny Hockey in the playoffs and it kind of leaves you wanting more? Which, which do you think we're more likely to see here? I think we're going to finally see playoff Johnny Hockey. I think that we're finally going to see some sort of life out on the ice every shift or just about every shift. And I, I think that the break good to, uh, you know, could have been good to him and um, you know, for the mentality reset and just really a break and to kind of get in his zone. And I mean, obviously he has time to prepare for the playoffs during the season and things like that, but you know, the time away and I'm assuming he was with his family back East. It, it probably allowed him to let a lot of his, I don't want to call it baggage, but it allowed him to get in the right mindset for the upcoming return to play play in series. Right. It's not necessarily a vacation given all the stress that comes with the global pandemic, but um, I guess to get away from hockey, it's like getting away from work for for you or I. Like when we just leave work and don't think about work, it probably does us a lot of good more so than bad. Um, So when we talk about players to watch and who the spotlight's on, you know, it's obviously the star players that come to mind and Harrison was dropping names like Shifley and Line and we talk about Goudreau on the flame side of things. Those are the star players going into this series. Harrison, when Jess and I talked last week about, you know, playoff X factors for the Calgary Flames, we kind of settled on two names uh, unanimously, and that would be Dylan Dubé and Andrew Mangiapane. Uh, we both kind of see those players as, you know, they're not the offensive guy you rely on for goals, but they both can provide goal scoring at key moments. And then they, bo- they both also have, you know, a certain level of physicality mixed into both their games uh, for Dubé and Mangiapane. Looking at the Jets, there's obviously a lot of star power. You look at Shifley and Kyle Connor and Line, like you mentioned uh, in your previous answer. In terms of the depth players, I guess we're thinking of this as a, as a forward perspective. Who are the X factors? Like, who are the guys maybe Flames fans aren't thinking of that could be real difference makers in this series? Uh, looking at our roster, I think we have a lot of guys who are interesting uh, bottom six talents that are maybe a little bit underappreciated. Uh, there are three names that I kind of circle to, and one of them is a little bit more of a work in progress. Uh, but naturally, my first name that I snap to is Matthew Perot. Um, he's our, our French king. I mean, the dude just seems to constantly have a relentless work ethic. I think that he has incredibly gifted vision and passing, although this year, for some reason, he took like a billion penalties, which is sort of uh, abnormal for his standards. Um, but he's definitely an offensive powerhouse, especially around the net. And he has very good, he's like a cerebral player. I think that his offensive zone approach just naturally lends itself to a lot of zone possession, really good uh, offensive opportunities around the net mouth area. He's just a a really versatile threat, but the only issue is he's kind of a glass cannon. He gets hurt a lot, and he also winds up in the sin bin a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, The other guy I would kind of circle to is going to be Andrew Kopp. Andrew Kopp is, is basically Winnipeg's second best center and I think that he is Paul Maurice's Swiss Army knife. 
you throw them for whatever situation you need. You got a penalty kill. You need them on the power play for whatever reason. If you're at that point, you're probably pretty desperate. Um, but he's your all all situations and really an even strength dominant third liner. And if you need him to play a second line center, he can do that. Uh, right now, they've kind of tabbed Cody Eakin to do that. But Andrew Kopp, I think, is the guy who, if you have bottom six matchups against middle six opponents, he's the one you turn to. The last guy that I'm really curious to see what happens with him is is Jack Roslovic. Uh, Roslovic is somebody who has shown shades of being the next Matthew Perot. It's just that um, it's tough with him because he, he shows these small inconsistencies in his game, and it's clear that the Jets wanted him to be their, their second-line center of the future. That hasn't really panned out. He's definitely more of a winger, uh, but when he's on his game and when he's able to attack space freely, especially from one of the flanking sides, he is lethal. I mean, that dude has a nasty little release, and his compact frame, I guess relative to the rest of the NHL, allows him to get into spaces that a lot of the bigger guys simply can't. Yeah. No, it's exciting stuff because it's it's one of the things I love most about playoffs is seeing the guy emerge. And, you know, it's kind of more so for the teams who make deep runs into the cup finals and conference finals. But on every team who does well in the playoffs, there's always someone we never saw coming and who does well. So regardless of it's the Flames or the Jets that do well in this series, um, I always love watching the playoff X factors, whether it's going to be Dubé or Cop or um, anyone else on the Flames and the Jets. So still ahead in today's episode, Jess Harrison and myself get into some of our expectations for this best of five series. It's been hyped up as a 50-50 too tough to call series, uh, but will it actually live up to that expectation? We discuss next. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sean Lavery alongside Jess Belmosto and Harrison Lee. I would like to remind you all to subscribe to both the Locked On Flames and Locked On Jets podcast wherever you get your podcast. Once these games start, content's going to be flowing on both sides for the Flames and the Jets. It's going to be coming hot and heavy, so you want to make sure you don't miss anything by hitting subscribe. Now, guys, you know, it's kind of a preseason ritual saying what a roster looks like on paper. So for example, the Flames roster on paper prior to the season looked really good. Like the defense was exciting. You had Goudreau and Monahan. Like the core was back and, and things were exciting, um, but it didn't quite live up to those expectations. When we look at this Flames and Jets best of five series on paper, same thing. It's awesome. it's obviously very exciting. It's going to be, it's been dubbed the closest playing, or I guess closest qualifying round series of the NHL playoffs. And it might even be the most exciting one looking at it on paper. Um, what are our expectations that it kind of actually lives up to this hype of being a very tight, you know, too tough to call series? Uh, Jess, we'll start with you. Do you think this series is going to be as close as everyone thinks it's going to be? Absolutely not. I think the Flames are going to get swept. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe not swept, but I really don't think that it's going to be um, as successful as flames fans would hope mm -hmm. but i just i don't know i'm just not i'm not confident especially with the goaltending situation maybe my mind changes closer to the date but i don't know we're approaching august 1st rather quickly <laughs> So Harrison, when you hear that, just say she thinks it's going to be a sweep. I gave my prediction last episode where I called it's going to be the Jets in four games, which isn't much better than a sweep. What does, like, how do you react to that? Do you think the series is going to be, I guess, as lopsided as Jess and I both seem to think it's going to be? <sighs> I think it really depends on which version of the Jets show up because there are two teams this season that Winnipeg has been. They've either been literally the absolute worst team in the league no exaggeration, 
lottery bound first overall pick bad or they've been break even. If they're break even, I think the series goes to five. Uh, I, I kind of think that if Hellebuck is on point, Winnipeg is going to have the edge there. And I think it's just going to be hard for um, Calgary's depth forwards to really make up if, if that bottom six starts or if the top six starts to get a little bit shut out. But if the bad Jets show up, I think Calgary wins it in four. I just think that Winnipeg is so bad at times, especially on the penalty kill, which they've, they thankfully limited the number of opportunities uh, that they afford opposing power plays. But I don't know, man, this team at its worst has been nightmarish. And, and I don't say that lightly. I've seen a lot of bad hockey teams. I mean, we've seen Buffalo, we've seen Detroit, and there are times when the Jets are legitimately worse than that. Um, so I'm hoping that this this postseason picture and the time off is going to be kind to the Jets. Part of me is not particularly optimistic. I don't even know what I expect at this point, but I, the history from this regular season has been very, very uh, rough. For anyone who follows Sean Tierney's work, he's been writing a lot about the Korean baseball um, statistics, but traditionally he does hockey. And in terms of teams that uh, have expected goal differentials, Winnipeg is always the worst off. I mean, they just concede so much to opposing teams, and it's not even just a lot of low-danger chances. They concede consistently the highest danger chances and a great volume. So Hellebuck has been massively overworked, uh, and, and there's a chance that Calgary gets Winnipeg at a bit of a vulnerable time. It's a bit of a, you know, a clean slate for both teams. I think it could be – it's either going to be a very close series or Winnipeg might get dusted. Do you guys think either side, the Flames or the Jets, um, benefits from the fact that it is a best of five as opposed to a best of seven series? I feel like – I don't – see, I. it's so hard to tell because it's a bunch of what-ifs and hypotheticals. But I think that, you know, shortening the series is great simply because, um, you know, it's less hockey for them to play um, and risking exposure, risking injuries, and just getting the season done with quicker. I know that it does jump up to seven games, but I feel like we we don't know <laughs> if there's an advantage or not. I think – I just, I think it's too hard to tell. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's so bizarre for like, I keep trying to justify my, in my myself and my brain by saying this series is completely different because it's a best of five, even though it's, mm-hmm. it's only two games less than a best of seven would be. Um, let's kind of ignore what's going to happen in this series. And let's look maybe beyond it for just a brief moment in time. Uh, Harrison here in Calgary, the head coach, Jeff Ward is on an interim basis. Still, he's still the interim head coach of the Calgary flames. So you could probably easily make a case that he's quote unquote coaching for his job. Whereas maybe if he loses this series, you know, I'd still, I'd still put it as a decent chance that he's retained as the flames head coach. Um, but if he wins this series against the jets, you know, obviously the odds get greater and greater for Ward to stay here in Calgary. Looking at Paul Maurice, he's guided the Jets to the playoffs four out of his seven seasons in Winnipeg. That's including this year and dubbing the qualifying round as the playoffs. And that did feature a run to the conference finals as well in 2018. Um, is there any scenario where maybe if the Flames make quick work of the Jets where Paul Maurice's future in, in Winnipeg would be questioned at all? Or is he pretty much locked in and, and he'll be back next season regardless of how this series goes? He's pretty much locked in. I think Winnipeg's ownership tends to trust him a lot. The funny thing about Maurice for me that is is both a blessing and a curse is that with low-talent teams that need a really defensive approach, I think Maurice works wonders. 
that 2014-15 team where they, they really didn't have a whole lot of talent to work with, relatively speaking, that team still put up borderline elite results. And then 2017-18 came around and the Jets were unbelievable. I mean, that team, it was really hard to contain them. I mean, they were, they, they were absolutely the best team in the league overall and uh, unfortunately just ran into both some unlucky goaltending for them and against them. So I don't know. I, I think Maurice's job is safe, but the rest of the seasons that he's coached and even some of the ones where the Jets actually made the playoffs, this team has not been that good. Uh, but I think the bigger question is, is, is somebody else going to come in and really make a big difference? You know, unless you're getting a Gerard Gallant or something, I just don't really see a scenario where the Jets get really antsy, especially in a season that's basically a lost cause. And it was going to be a long shot for them to fire him anyways, because he just signed an extension and Winnipeg is not really in a financial situation to be eating a lot of dead money on somebody's terminated contract. Um, so I think Maurice's job is pretty safe and it might even be safe next year too. Yeah. Um, like I said, last episode, Paul Maurice is probably one of my favorite coaches in the NHL, if not my favorite. So um, as someone who's going to be obviously keeping a keen eye on this series, I love looking forward to his post-game comments. I think the way he just approaches the media, he just makes me laugh. And um, I think he's a funny guy and he's obviously a fantastic coach. He's been in the game a long time. Um, and he brings tons of experience behind the bench. So um, like you said, I, I, I would tend to lean that he would be safe for next season as well, regardless of how this series goes. Uh, so Jess and Harrison, thank you so much for today. Um, episode two of our three-part series where we preview the Flames and Jets qualifying round uh, series. Coming up tomorrow, Jess, Harrison, and myself will take a deeper dive into the actual on-ice matchup between the Flames and the Jets, including we have yet to hear Harrison's prediction. I've called Jets in four. Jess thinks it's going to be a sweep for Winnipeg. What does Harrison think? We'll get his actual series prediction next episode. You can follow myself on Twitter at Sean underscore Lavery. Jess is at Jess Belmosto. And you can find Harrison at HL Living Loco. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast right now for your from your favorite podcast app. And you'll get the latest episode of Locked on Flames or Locked on Jets as soon as it's available each day. Uh, want to learn more about the Western Conference playoff picture? Tune into Locked On Oilers as host Tom Gazzola gives you the host city's perspective to the NHL's return to play. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And we're back with episode three of our three-part series preview tomorrow.